Yeah. All righty. Shabbat shalom, everyone. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom. So good to be learning with you this morning. Um, in a minute, we're going to say Birkat Torah, but first I just want to thank our very dear friend and neighbor and teacher and colleague, Sharon Kohn Anisfeld, for joining us. Uh, as you all know, Sharon is the president of Hebrew College, our neighbor. And as you all know, for many years, Sharon was the dean of the rabbinical program at Hebrew College. And what we need now, you know, is not only an honest conversation about the divisions that the letter laid bare, and Sharon's going to be awesome on that front, but also we need healing and understanding so that we can heal our, our world, our divided world. So let's thank God for the gift of learning Torah together. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam Asher kitshanu bemitzvotah v'tzibanu la'asok b'divrei Torah Ve'aret na'adonai Eloheinu et divrei Torah v'inu v'v'yamcha b'Yisrael V'ni'yahachnu v'tzatzayinu v'tzatzayi amcha b'Yisrael Kulanu yabrei shemecha v'lomdei Torah t'chalishma Baruch atah Adonai so, Bokatov, everybody, Shabbat Shalom, and again, Sharon, a deep thank you. I want to just start uh, with an observation, uh, Sharon, and, and a question. Um, I've been to two Hebrew college ordinations, uh, one for our beloved colleague, Elisa Berger who is in Denver with Solomon visiting her family, and the other for our very dear friend, Jevon Eagle. And I just want to start with this observation that what you do at the Hebrew College Ordination is just truly a remarkable rabbinical feat. In four minutes, you talk to every rabbinical student who is graduating, who's getting ordained, and in four minutes, you talk very personally about each one in a way that, that lets them and all of us know that you really get them you get their core humanity. You then bring in a text, a biblical text, a rabbinic text, a Hasidic text, a midrashic text, some sacred text. You then make us laugh and you make us cry. You have a sense of humor and you move us, and that's in four minutes. And then you do it again and again. And just as a professional matter, my hat's off to you. I, I couldn't do that. I couldn't do that. I don't know how you do it. But here's the point. This is why I bring this up now. You clearly know your rabbinical students, deeply and intimately. So here's our question I'd like to begin. Um, were you surprised by the letter, or were you expecting it? Did it confirm or disrupt your expectations? Could you just step back with us and tell us the story of the letter as you experienced it? Sure, thank you so much. And, and first, Wes, I want to say a special thanks to you. Um, I, I, I don't need to tell all of you what special leadership you have here in this congregation, but I will just say that I think so. You're, you're talking about my brachot and ordination, so I'll talk about what happened yesterday afternoon just for a second and say that I reached out to Wes to express my concern um, about what's going on and about his email. And um, the very first thing Wes did was, first of all, to immediately respond and say, call me. And then when I called him, the first thing he said was, where are you? Let's get together, panim el panim, face to face for a conversation. And Wes and Michelle both came and we sat and talked. And to me, that is right there the model of what we all need to be doing. When we, you will talk later about healing the divide, but I just want to say that oh. with belev maletoda, really heart full of thanks and and kavod. So, thank you. Um, so, um, <laughs> the letter did surprise me, and it did disappoint me. Um, and I'll share in a moment, um, Wes and Michelle have asked me to share the letter that I wrote to our students, to our entire student and faculty community last week. Um, I will say my dominant emotion, uh, I, I saw the letter the day after it came out. I didn't know anything about it before it came out. Uh, and 
I knew enough not to try to respond immediately, mm -hmm. but to sit with my thoughts and feelings because I had a lot of them. Uh, and my dominant emotion, I have to say, as I was reflecting on it, was really deep, deep sorrow. Um, and I uh, honestly, I'm not saying this for anybody to feel sorry for me, but I spent lo much of last Shabbat really walking and crying and davening and just feeling deep sorrow. And um, there are many layers to that sorrow, um, but to you know try to put a point on it, I think um, what I was reflecting on is over the last 40 years, it's been about 40 years mm. that I have been sort of working in the space of progressive Zionism, of trying to um, to articulate a vision of Zionism that is both deeply filled with Ahavat Torah, with love, uh, with Ahavat Israel, with love of the Jewish people and of Israel, and also deeply filled with a kind of universalism and concern for um, all humanity and for the human and civil rights of Palestinians. And the deep sorrow is that that space, the space for holding that kind of complexity, um, feels like it's gotten narrower and narrower and narrower, um, that the reality on the ground in Israel and the Palestinian ter uh, territories has gotten more entrenched um, and difficult, uh, that the reality in North America in terms of political discourse has gotten hardened, uh, that, the, that you know, most painfully to me that the discourse within our own Jewish community has gotten more divided and toxic, uh, and that hearts have have hardened, mm. you know. So, so all of that. So I feel all of those layers of sorrow. Um, anybody who's ever, <laughs> any of my students know that the Torah I try to teach is the Torah of paradox, of of holding both and the deepest paradoxes of our human experience. And so the letter um, felt like a real failure in that regard, mm -hmm. in terms of holding the paradox of, of the universal and the particular. Um, so, that's so Sharon, after your you know Shabbat and weekend of walking and crying and and praying, what happened next? Um, so then I called a faculty, a, a group of our faculty together to consult with them. Also had a lot of conversation with my board chair and dear friend, Andy Offit. Um, but I wanted to get in some other voices. And so I spoke with faculty. And um, we started from a place of our personal responses and then talked about institutional response. And then I, I spent uh, a day, Erev Shavuot, um, working on a letter to our community. And so, Birshut Chem, should yeah. I read that letter? Uh, yeah, can I just ask one last question yeah. before I do it? You know, rabbis and teachers know some essays or speeches or sermons, we just write and it comes out, and some are labored. Which was this for you? Tell us about your creative process. Did it just come out, or was this many drafts? Uh, the heart of it tumbled out. It took a few hours, but it tumbled out. And then um, I shared it with a few trusted colleagues on the faculty and elsewhere, and took a couple of days to hone. Because the language, you know, all we have is language here. I was so conscious of, you know, I'm sitting here wordsmithing while friends, you know, dear friends and family are in bomb shelters in Israel, and, you know, others are, uh, people are suffering all over, and, and I'm wordsmithing. But that's what we have is, mm. you know, from here is our words and our language. So please share. Okay. So, um, so this is again addressed to uh, to our students. Um, and I'll say, sorry, I'll say one other thing quickly, which is that I made the decision not to publish this um, because the relational context of the letter was very important to me. Uh, this is really meant as loving tochacha, loving rebuke within, as you pointed out earlier, um, deep relationships with people who I really care about and respect and love. Um, and so I made the decision not to publish it. Um, uh, 
so that it to honor that relational context. But I'm I'm honored for the chance to share it. Again. Thank you so much. Okay, dear ones. I know that many of us, in fact, I hope all of us, feel deeply shaken by the events of the last 10 days throughout Israel and in Gaza, as we should. These are troubling and terrible times. And as worried as we are about what is happening in this moment, I suspect many of us are even more frightened about what the future will bring. We don't know, of course, but as I speak with dear friends, colleagues, and loved ones in Israel, I hear a new kind of fear about what will be, about how to step back from this precipice, about how to stitch together what has been torn apart, to create a future together for Jews and Arabs in this land that however the borders are drawn is inexorably home to both. Many of you signed onto a statement a few days ago that expressed solidarity with and concern for the innocent Palestinian victims of the most recent violence in Gaza and the unrelenting structural violence of the occupation over the last several decades. You did so with dozens of other rabbinical and cantorial students from seminaries across the denominational and non-denominational spectrum. This, importantly, is your right. More than that, many of us would say it is your responsibility to speak out when you feel a sense of urgent moral and spiritual concern. I, and I suspect all of your teachers, feel proud of your desire to teach a Torah of humanity, dignity, and empathy, even when doing so entails some personal and institutional risk. At the same time, I feel a sense of personal and institutional responsibility to share with you what felt painfully lacking in the statement to which you lent not only your own names, but the name of Hebrew College. I feel compelled to do this both in my role as your teacher and fellow community member and in my role as president of the college since your words reflect on and have repercussions for all of us. I want you to be cognizant of this reality and aware of the unintended consequences your statement may have. It is likely that the public nature of your statement will compel me to find ways to address this more publicly over the coming days. But for now, I want to address you as someone who teaches and learns Torah together with you as someone who treasures this community, as someone who believes in what you have to offer to the Jewish people and to the world, and as someone whose heart is breaking. Since your letter was explicitly addressed to the heart, I will try to speak from the heart in the hope that dvarim sheyotzim min alev nichnasim el halev, in the hope that words that come from the heart will enter the heart. I heard in what you wrote a sincere attempt to choose your words thoughtfully, to ground yourselves in Torah, and to be both loving and brave. I heard a sense of anguish and urgency about the tragic toll of this conflict, disproportionately for Palestinian and human and civil rights, for Palestinian lives, a sense of anguish and urgency that I share. What I did not hear, and was longing to hear, was a deeper sense of Ahavat Yisrael, and a deeper sense of Anava, of humility. Both are qualities that feel essential to me in our sacred work as Jewish leaders, so let me try to say a few words about each. Ahavat Yisrael. This is such a tricky concept in our time and one that has sadly been weaponized or at least overly politicized in many pockets of our Jewish world. For that reason, I hesitate to use it, but it is an important spiritual category to me and to us. So here's the beginning of an attempt to describe what it would have sounded like to me. It would have sounded like a willingness to speak with love and compassion in the first person plural to grieve with your fellow Jews in the first person plural, 
to be afraid with your fellow Jews in the first person plural, and not only to be ashamed in the first person plural, though I am aware that shame too is a powerful expression of belonging. It would have sounded like a willingness to acknowledge that anti-Semitism is an ongoing reality, that there are those, sadly, in the Middle East and around the world who seek to harm, demean, or destroy us because we are Jews. It would have sounded like a willingness to affirm the dignity and sanctity of all human life and at the same time hold a special place in your heart for the Jewish people you have dedicated your life to serving. Not because our lives matter more than any other lives, God forbid, but because we are responsible to and for each other. To put it another way, in striving to hold the paradox of im en anili mili, if I'm not for myself, who will be for me? And if I'm only for myself, what am I? I fear you have held firmly to the latter and neglected the former. Anava. This too is a tricky one, and there are so many ways that the call for anava, for humility, can be used to silence courageous speech. And yet it is such an important quality, especially for those stepping into positions of leadership, that I want to try to address it. Here again is the start of an attempt to articulate what greater anava would have sounded like to me. It would have sounded like a humble recognition that things sometimes look simpler from a distance. It would have sounded like some acknowledgement that you are speaking from a place of relative safety and comfort. It would have sounded like some awareness of the fact that many good people who are dedicated to you, to your leadership, to your education, who are lending time and effort and money to support the college, will be deeply pained by your words. It would have sounded like some recognition of the people on whose shoulders you stand, the countless people within and beyond the Jewish community, both here and in Israel, who have been working for decades for human and civil rights of Palestinians, for an end to the occupation, for an equitable and sustainable peace, people who have shed many tears and whose hearts have been broken several times over again. I'll skip just a couple, that it's, it's getting long, so. Um, I offer this with deep faith in our ability to continue to work together to hold the complexity of these conversations with respect, courage, humility, and love, and to hold each other's humanity in our aching hearts. I also offer this with the awareness that we are all struggling to rise to the responsibilities of spiritual and communal leadership in an enormously challenging and complex time. We need to have compassion for ourselves and for each other. Meanwhile, I want to leave you with an image that my dear friend and colleague, Rabbi Tamar Elad Applebaum, shared with me in our email exchange last Saturday night. Just before Shabbat, Tamar and several colleagues put out a call for a women's prayer gathering. Over 1,000 women, Arab and Jewish, gathered to pour out their broken hearts in a joint prayer for peace. May our prayers meet theirs, and may they rise up together. And may the Torah we received on this Shavuot help illumine a path forward through this wilderness and give us hope. With much love. I want to, of course, invite you in a minute to share how that was received by the people to whom you sent it. But I wanted some silence for all of us to absorb it. And then I wanted to invite my dear colleagues here, with whom I just love walking through life. Just love you guys so much. Just love you guys so much. Uh, I wanted to invite you, when you're ready, to share your reactions to Sharon's letter. 
Yeah. So I was was listening, you know, in our class here, since the beginning, we've been talking a lot about tone of of leadership and, you know, how one presents who one is speaking to and how how you may give a little bit more in order to be heard. And I was I was struck by the real difference in tone between your letter and the one that we read from Rabbi Brad Artson, um, which uh, I, I really was very taken with Rabbi Artson's letter, which um, which was filled with tocha for his for his students and said it came out very clearly and said this this does not stand for the the leadership principles that we stand for. You spent a lot of time in your letter going gently where your students are. In fact, using language of occupation, using language that they used, really understanding and appreciating where they are. Can you tell us a little bit about your your thinking? What where were you when you reached towards them with that mindset? Um Yes, and I also just want to say I'm, I'm very eager, genuinely, to hear your own response, you know, all of you that was last said. But, um, I, yeah, I, I think briefly what I would say is um, there are two parts to that. Part of it is um, that there are elements that I share, you know, that 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 what I really felt was painful for me about the letter was what was missing. Um, so there, so that's a genuine, there, there are things that I really share in terms of the concerns. Um, but then the other piece is it's my understanding of the only way tochacha is ever received. We know these are the, this is the halacha of tochacha. If you don't, think it can be given in a way that it can be received, don't give it, <laughs> essentially. And um, I just don't think people learn and grow from a place of feeling attacked and shamed. Um, and so I think finding the places of connection and then pushing from there and being honest about where my disappointments were. That's the only way I know how to do it. So I just want to build on Michelle's question before we get to Elias and Dan. Um, I have so much to learn from you, Sharon. Um, so much to learn from you. Uh, the tone, the gentleness, sensitivity. Here's my question for you, Sharon. What do you do with your own moral outrage? Because what was not in your letter, which I was just feeling coursing through my system and it just spilled out was moral outrage. And, and I just wanna, just wanna frame why I have moral outrage. You know, <clears throat> there is so much hatred of the Jewish state now. And anti-Semitism, which is you know, 3,000 years old, 2,000 years old, can now masquerade politically correctly as anti-Israel sentiment. And so just, just two things. I mean, this is like immediate, right? I talked to a, um, a colleague, of, a, 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 a congregant of ours who's at MIT um, business school, and he shared that MIT had a petition condemning Israel for genocide, for ethnic cleansing, for war crimes, all of which are, goes without saying, scurrilously, outlandishly, flagrantly, not only false allegations, but just pure Jew hatred. Pure Jew hatred petition at MIT, and it received 500 signatures, okay? Second, uh, Monday night, um, Cambridge has a BDS petition. Uh, against Israel. And just to, to give you a flavor of how outrageous that is, I mean, if you listen to the New Yorker radio hours, fabulous hour on the fact that in China, there's actually mamish concentration camps, mamish concentration camps for Chinese Muslims. And the scholars who are talking about it, you, they say the only analogy in the 20th century to that is, is it's the Holocaust without the killing, but it's the camps. And the only way you get into the camp is you're a Muslim Chinese person. And isn't it interesting that Cambridge says nothing about China putting Muslims in concentration camps, but Israel, which is defending itself from 5,000 missiles on innocent civilians, that's who they target for BDS. So here's my question. That, like, that just fills me with outrage because it's Jew hatred, and I'm going to call it out. What do you do with your moral outrage, and how does moral outrage 
fit in with the softness, which is so beautiful and which I have to learn from. But how do you do softness paradoxically and also outrage? <laughs> Yeah, maybe I need to learn from you. We do it. I'm loving and moral outrage. Um, yeah. Well, no, so I, I actually mean that seriously, you know, that I think where you went to anger, I went to sorrow, and we know anger and sorrow are deeply right. connected. Um, so some of that's constitutional and right. temperamental. I think you're right that there is a time and a place where moral outrage is really, really important. Um, and, uh, and I feel a couple of those contexts that you named is a place for that. Uh, this didn't feel like the right. place where, you know, that's what I wanted just, to lean in. Just one last thought and then I'll shut up and yeah, invite my yeah. colleagues. Um, I, I think I, I, I failed to make the closing point. It feels to me, now you, you've been the dean of a rabbinical school and you're the president of Hebrew College now, it feels to me, if, if we were hiring a rabbi, another rabbi, right? In, in the year 2021, my first job requirement, my first job requirement, just just me, is protect and defend Israel. Love Israel, Israel is flawed like all people are flawed, like all nations are flawed. But in a world where Cambridge is trying to do BDS against Israel, in a world where you know, MIT engineers who are so smart and scientific are, are accusing Israel of genocide, ethnic cleansing, and war crimes. My first criterion for a rabbi today is protect and defend publicly Israel, which is not to say you have to agree with all the, the uh, positions of a current administration, which is not to say you have to love Pres uh, Prime, Prime Minister Netanyahu, but it is to say with all the flaws and complexities that you publicly defend Israel. And I guess that's why, that's why I went bananas. Because yeah. it just so anyway, uh, that's so so that's my anyway. Let me ask Lord Dan Nesson uh, and our beloved Elias for your reactions to Sharon's letter. I'm not a measured person, which is why I, I would never have known. Which which is actually why I I um, I usually try not to hold any um, public discourse about things political, but uh, I when I read this letter, um, you know my. My room was actually a mess afterwards because I was throwing things around, especially because there were people that I know personally, and I was so so personally disappointed by that. And I'm thinking about, I'm thinking one of the things I was thinking about is, um, you know, first of all, yeah, yeah, we we all have family friends in Israel, so it was just just so interesting to me. And I, I I'm not sure I don't know about the rabbinical program, but I'm assuming the students spent some time in Israel. Um, and and so, so, so therefore, the the lack was 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 so intense for me was the lack of comprehension of 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 the um, uh, of the the horrors of of having you know um, missiles shot at you. I remember you know back when the Scud missiles were flying, being on the on the on the regular telephone with my with my brother as as he was uh, he said I got to go I, we got to get to the shelter got to go got to get to the shelter. It happened ten times you know in in a week where I was trying to talk to him see how he's doing you know uh, every day I'm 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 on WhatsApp with him seeing what's going on in Jerusalem. It's just so you know it's just so difficult and and I'm thinking that one of the things that that the rabbinical students these these are not for the most part kids they should be old enough to understand the political uh, ramifications of these kind of statements that this actually does create um, a sense that um, that the Jewish community is not uh, cohesive and that the Jewish community is in fact um, you know uh, somewhat anti-israel and that that it's that it's painful it's personally painful um, so the, the the terror and the pain, um, the lack uh, the lack of of of, um, of political comprehension of, of how these statements are going to be seen not by just not by the Jewish community but the rest of the the rest of the American community. <laughs> oh look, all of these rabbis and cantors, they're with us. And it seems that um, it seems that there's a lot of um, you know with what's happening in this country with uh, you know with um, Black Lives Matters with with uh, with Asian hate, with Asian hate all of this you know I think you know brought to the forefront in the past uh, you know four or five years um, by what's been happening in, with our with our political system um, 
that 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 this uh, this that we uh, that uh, country has been allowed to uh, to voice very uh, very difficult um, you know feel uh, very difficult feelings of, of hatred towards towards groups of people that um, that these these rabbis these rabbinical students who are not kids should have more sense than to do this. And, and if they're going to write a letter like this, you know, if I were to be part of something like that, I would say, okay, I've written this letter. I'm not going to send it. Let me talk to some people who have more measured um, experience. Let me talk to a, a, a rabbi, a professor, a cantor, somebody who, you know, who has been on the pulpit for 20 years, who understands this, someone who lives in Israel, who understands this. Before I send this, I, I really want to think about that. So that that was what, what you know, what, what, what I've been thinking. And um, yeah. it's just like to be, it's just, um, it was just very, a very okay. difficult thing, thing to see that the people that really should know better um, you know, uh, uh, promulgated this. They're, Dan, they're living in the American. Yeah, they're living in the American experience. Right. They're not living in the Israeli experience. Thank you, Dan. Yeah, Thank I'm you sorry. so much. Talk too so, long. no, no, you're perfect. You're always perfect. Uh, Elias would love your words, and then when you're done, Elias, Shen, I'm going to ask you how your students received your letter and what mm -hmm. has happened since then. So, uh, thank you. Such an honor to have you here, Thank and you, such Elias. a pleasure. And and uh, I just wanted to finish the Talmud class. Once you finish your letter, there was nothing else to say. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so let me give you a little background about my own Jewish experience. So um, people know that I have a very different experience because I grew up in Argentina and I spent the first 30 years of my life down there. And what people don't know usually that I have to clarify is that I'm not an American born because my accent is so perfect that nobody <laughs> can tell that I'm not from here. But you know, thank you for reminding me to clarify that. <laughs> Anyways, so I experienced firsthand anti-Semitism my whole life. My entire life since I was a kid. S bus drivers, kids in the neighbor, any anything you wanna call it, it was anti-Semitism and I grew up building that a shield, you know, and, and feeling the feeling that you are not accepted in the country. While I was there, I also experienced two bombings in the Embassy of Israel and in the Jewish Community Center that killed many people that I knew. And uh, and then later on, when I was here, the one of the uh, judges that was following the case of the trying to clarify it, he was assassinated as well. So. I don't share the same experience that these students share at all. And my thoughts are, are you know, in, 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 a, in an opposite side, although I try to be neutral all the time. Now, one thing that you don't see in places like Argentina, it's a divided Jewish community. Because we are all unified, we all feel the same, and we want the best for Israel and for the Jewish people. So my question to you is, Clearly, we are not unified here in America. Why do you think that these students purposely omit, omitted all the things that the Israelis are suffering, and Hamas, and whatever you want to call it? That it's my first question. The second question is, it seems like, based on this letter, the reason Palestinians and Israelis are not at peace is because of Israeli occupation and this and that. And we all know those who are you know, those of us who have a few more decades, that in the 90s, Rabin was, you know, the, from the Labour Party, Hood Barak from, from the Labour Party, they offer things that nobody has offered to the Palestinians and they rejected that. So can you talk a little bit more about why they purposely omit that? Is it because they don't see it, they don't feel it, or they don't, it, they, it's not their place to criticize what other people is, are doing and only criticize ourselves? Please, please, by all means. There's so much here. <laughs> Those are such important questions. Um, I, I'm smiling because I, the first thing I want to say, when you say why, why did they do X or Y, um, you know, I, when Wes and I were talking yesterday afternoon and he asked a similar question about what, it, what do they think and how do they respond, I, I said, you know, there's not one they. And so, um, and this goes to the responses that I've gotten. I think there are, there are many 
different reasons that people signed the statement. There are some who regret signing it. There are some who don't regret. Uh, so I don't think there's one answer to the question, but I think that um, my sense is that a big part of why they left that out was um, a desire to say, in this moment, we want to put we we want to put the emphasis without caveats on our concern for the suffering of Palestinians. Again, I think that was a deep mistake and a deep problem, but that's what I that's what I think. You know, sort of the it's in dialogue with the other side, right? I, I um, the day before I put out a statement in which I expressed a lot of concern for Israel and Isra Jewish Israelis under attack, as well as concern, you know, and then mentioned Palestinian lives. And of course, I got hate mail because I mentioned at all, bichlal, you know, Palestinian lives. So we've created this dynamic where one extreme pushes the other side to, into their And that's the dynamic that I'm trying to figure out. How do we help each other get out of this dynamic. So the, and it's not just in the Jewish community, right? We don't have a cohesive Jewish community here. We don't have a cohesive Jewish community in Israel. And and you know, so our students spend a year in Israel. We have a program I'm so proud of that we call Balevav, um, which is focused on bringing our students deeply into relationship with Israelis while they are in Israel for the year with Israeli individuals, teachers, peers, communities, organizations. Um, but of course, when you say, you know, the primary responsibility is to protect and defend Israel, I would say there are a couple of others I would put right up there. But, you know, because it's not cohesive, there's also a question of which Israel and which Israeli voices. And so the the students come back from a year in Israel and they've they've heard, you know, there's much more room for debate there, as there should be, I guess, you know, but they've heard lots of different Israeli voices, so they're, they're feeling some loyalty also to people in Israel who are expressing criticism. I think, as, I think there was a deep lack of appreciation for the full context of what it means to put out a letter like this in a publication. You know, they wrote the letter, here's an example of I hate to use the word naive, but I turned 60 this year, so maybe I'm allowed to, you know. <laughs> um, they, the title that they chose for their letter was A Letter to the Heart of the American Jewish Community. The forward, when it published their letter, got rid of that and put the headline, Rabbinic and Cantorial Students Express Solidarity with Palestinians, you know. And some of them wrote to me and said, that's not the letter I signed. <laughs> I signed a letter to the heart of the American Jew. But So what know, was the response? Tell us what the response is. So you write this okay. gorgeous letter. What do they say? And how do they communicate and where does that stand? So um, it's been, I have to say, very, very powerful to receive the response. I have from students, dozens and dozens of responses, um, from faculty, board members, donors, community, you know, hundreds. I feel like there's probably a book sitting in my inbox. Um, and um, the responses, for the most part, there are a couple who haven't written yet, you know, and I'm not sure what's going on there. I would say it breaks down into four categories, roughly. Um, one category is people who um, express deep appreciation for what I wrote and deep regret about having signed the letter. A second category is people who expressed deep appreciation for what I wrote, the content. I'm not talking about me, right. but, you know, the content. Um, and not regret, but ambivalence, you know, and sort of, I hear you, and this is why I think I would still do it again. Uh, there are those who wrote and said, can we, like, like you did, can we talk? Panim panim. You know, can we have a face-to-face -face conversation? I, of course, said I would do that with anybody and everybody who wants. Uh, and then there's a 
tiny, tiny category that haven't responded yet, and mm -hmm. I don't know what they're thinking. Um, so, I, so I think it runs the full, full gamut, um, and the responses have again. This is what gives me a little bit of hope, alongside you know some of the hate mail I've received. Um, the responses felt honest, searching, introspective, self-reflective, um, and it's gonna. This is a long haul. This is mm. this is. This is a lifetime. I mean, I've, again, I've been having these conversations for 40 years. And um, so this particular, I'm very aware that this is a particular moment in time. Yeah. Yeah. I want to, I want to, I want to talk about, double click on this moment in time. And I want to put the Jewish conversation, uh, as we discussed yesterday, in the broader context of our, of our American conversation. It is tragic and true that our country is just broken at the core, uh, just completely broken at the core. Uh, if I say January 6th, millions of Americans will say insurrection, mob riot, an attempted fascistic fascism takeover of our democracy, anti-democratic, violent, horrible, one of the worst days in the history of our country, Confederate flags, closer to the Capitol on January 6, 2021 than it was from 1861 to 1865. Just horrific day. If you ask millions of other Americans, they'll say January 6th equals 1776. January 6th is patriotism. January 6th is restoring the proper victor of the election. And that's just so broken at the core that and, and this is obvious, anyone who reads the paper knows this. I mean, Congress can't even decide whether you know, to investigate because it's just January 6th because it's just two different, there's two different countries in our country at least, and they can't connect. Yeah. Okay. Here's my question. How do we heal our divide within the Jewish community yeah. so that doesn't happen to the Jewish people? As you can see, we only have simple questions for you. <laughs> we can't figure it out, Sharon, so maybe you can help us. Hoshana. Well, our friend, Rav Claudia Kramen, who, uh, you know, I was davening with her on Shavuot morning. Oh, she gave a beautiful voice at the moment in the hollow that we move from like, let's just give thanks and rejoice in this day and this moment. And then she said, and then we go from there in an instant to God help us. You know, we're in such trouble. Mm. Um, so, uh, you know, both, both. Anyway, Wes, I mean, this is the thing that keeps me up. And there are a few things that keep me up at night, honestly, but this is the Healing thing. the divide. Yeah, Healing the yeah. divide. So, and you're right that it's, I mean, the divide within the Jewish community is, is just a, it's a microcosm, it's a recapitulation of this larger divide in the country, human divides. Um, so I'm assuming you'll share the answer to that at the end of the session. <laughs> that, that, um, here's... Here's my, here's all I can, here are th the three things I would say about it, and I am not a politician, I am a rabbi, I'm not a political pundit, you know, and I, I have no idea how this country is going to move forward and heal those divides. What I will say about the divides within the Jewish community, which you and I both know are, you know, let's be real, it's, it's not just communal, institutional divide. these are divides within families, and I would say these are divides within ourselves. For many of us, these are divides within ourselves. So um, I would say three things. Sort of principles I carry with me about healing divides. Um, number one, not only is there not one they, every time you hear yourself saying they, you know, just stop and break it down. Not only that, but um, every human being is more than one thing. 
And so, you know, and this is a really important principle to me. I, it's connected to the way that I under, understand Salam Elohim, being, every human being created in the image of God, which is we know that a form of idolatry is mistaking a part of God for all of God. So I think it is also a form of idolatry when we mistake a part of a person for the whole of that person mm. created in the, and we do it all the time, right? We see someone, you know, we see their race, we think that's all of who they are. We see their illness, we think that's all of who they are. We see whatever it is. So, so here too, you know, insisting on seeing that people are more than one thing and not reducing them to one thing or one thing they've said, that feels really important principle. Um, the second important principle to me is um, you don't teach people to humanize other people by dehumanizing them. So um, how we're teaching what we're teaching, as Amy, I sound, we all know this, but how we're teaching and what we're modeling is as important. It is the substance also of what we're teaching. It, yeah, go ahead. You are, you, are you, given those three categories, are you hopeful? Oh, two, sorry, sorry, sorry. I have sorry, a third so that's rich. very please, important, please, and it goes, please. this is like deeply, please. you know, from my child. The third is stay in relationship. Mm. Stay, stay, stay. This is, you know, I could do a rant against cancel culture, with, which is the opposite of that. But I could also talk about it again within our own community, within our own families, Anytime some, now it doesn't mean, you know, sometimes we have to take a break from a conversation, <laughs> but don't walk away from the relationships that are most important to us. And to me, that's relationship with the Jewish community. So let me see if I got this. Yeah. The three principles. Principle one is, is people contain multitudes. People yep. are multitudes. Yep. And to appreciate the complexity and the, the layers of any human being. Yeah. Number two, don't confuse one particular presenting item or opinion or deed as the whole person. There's a whole person there. That's number one. Still. That's still number one. That's still okay. number one. <laughs> okay. Number two is don't try to teach people to humanize uh, others by, by dehumanizing de others. Don't mm -hmm. humanize others by dehumanizing others. Um, right. So in other words, don't speak Practice about... Practice what you preach, I guess. Yeah. You know. Okay. Yeah. And in the context of this war, it would be the... Well, so I want so my can, students to humanize. Uh, I, wait, know, can I you, double click on that? As yeah, Wes yeah, yeah. would say, yeah. um, can I, does, so does that mean don't say you have to understand the experience of Israelis who have bombs lobbed at them, and you have to humanize the experience of Israelis who are in shelters and in fear every moment, but don't listen to the Palestinian story. Is that what you're trying to say? Actually. Close. So I would Me, say, meaning it, no, that I, we I, shouldn't say that. What I would say is I wouldn't say to my students, you have to humanize those Israeli Jews, your brothers and sisters who are sitting in shelters, and in the process dehumanize my students who I'm talking to. I'm not even talking right now about that. Oh. So I'm saying in how we, that's why the tone matters so Meaning, much to me. So how it was important get, to you to see it was important to me that to they didn't want to humanize the Israelis. That was the tone we were talking about before. It was important to me to humanize my students, students. as I'm trying to teach them about humanizing Israeli suffering. So Meaning to validate that they might, that they were authentic, whole, uh, valid yeah, to human part beings one, to recognize in their own wholeness, the even though you even though you disagree with them, right? Right. Um, and then part three, and then number I, three is stay in relationship. Stay in relationship. I just want to I want to walk you down the slippery slope for a second, because I'm, I'm. I know. <laughs> I know. Phase one: people contain multitudes. You know who could argue with that? Number three. Well, except uh, we all, we've all, myself right. included, fail on that. Constantly. Okay. People contain yeah. multitudes. Okay. Number three. Um, number three. Stay, stay in a relationship. In. Love that. Who could argue with that? The second point I'm struggling with. I come hard. to you and I say to you, you know what, uh, Sharon? I don't like black people for good reason. I mean, I was mugged by black people. I grew up in a neighborhood where there's a lot of tension with black people. I don't like black people. By the way, I've had congregants of Temple Emanuel tell me this. 
I grew up, I had a tough neighborhood, I was mugged by black people, but I want to be a rabbi. Are you going to admit me to your school? No. No. Well, so so if that's the no, case. No, 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 but wait, wait, we're talking about something else. So no, 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 but you're, you're, I know this. I'm, I'm presenting you with a particular obnoxious, horrible, repulsive, salient thing. Yeah. And, um, and are you dehumanizing me if you let that horrible, obnoxious, salient thing define my whole totality? So, um, First of all, saying I'm not going to admit you to rabbinical school doesn't mean that I'm denying your whole humanity. I could, I could. There's a lot more I could do in that conversation, right? That could humanize you, and I could still, I could still humanize you and reject you. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but <laughs> I mean, it's you right. know, there are many good human beings who are not in rabbinical schools, so. right? Um, but. Uh, your question to me was, how do we heal the divide? Right. So those are my three responses to healing the divide. Okay. Now, now you're asking a different question is, how do we heal the divide and still maintain, stand on firm moral ground? ground. Right? right? And I think that's, I mean, that's what we're all wrestling with is, how do we not be wishy-washy? And at the same time, hold complexity, you know. So here's, we're going to close because we're, we're out of time now. But here's, here's an offer that, you know, Michelle and I talked about yesterday. Uh, you know, the Mishnah says, don't try to appease somebody in the moment of their anger or comfort them when their dead lies before them. And emotions are high and raw now. But um, in the fullness of time, when there's been some healing, you know, Michelle and I, and I'm sure uh, Elisa as well, uh, would love to, and Dan, Elias, you know, yeah. the whole clergy team here, uh, would love to go uh, to Hebrew college and be in dialogue with the students. You know, Dan made the point about, you know, talking to people who have been in the field for 20 years. Yeah. We've all been in the field for 20 years. Um, and we would love the opportunity to be in dialogue, to listen and to see and to have them listen and see. And we're just you are invited <laughs> officially and, here. We can and we are in deep gratitude to you, Sharon. Uh, you're, I have so, again, I just want to say thank you, and I have so much to learn from you. And we need your spirit to heal our people and to heal our land. So, Sharon, thank you so much, and thank Shabbat Shalom. So thank, thank you so thank much. Thank you. Thank you. Really, thank you. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom, everyone. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom.